A snippet from a poem by Watson Shide. I want to go home, but home is the mouth of a shark. Home is the barrel of the gun, and no one would leave home unless home chased you to the shore, unless home told you to quicken your legs, leave your clothes behind, crawl through the desert, wade through the oceans, drown, save, be hungry, beg, forget pride. Your survival is more important. No one leaves home unless home is a sweaty voice in your ear saying, leave, run away from me now. I don't know what I've become, but I know that anywhere is safer than here. Welcome. This is the very first episode of Oceans Within Us, a podcast by me, Asma, and my lovely friend Farah over here who is going to introduce herself. Hey everyone, I'm Farah. I'm 21 years old. My family's from Bangladesh and I'm currently an engineering student. And yeah, my name's Asma. I'm also 21. I'm Somali, like Wardson Shire, interestingly enough, so I really relate to her poem. And I study English literature at university. And yeah. Today we're going to be talking about home, what home means, what it looks like, what we want it to look like. And to start us off, we asked around 30 people how they define home. And Far, I was wondering, did you see like any trends in the responses? The thing that I noticed the most in the responses is that if someone doesn't already currently feel at home with you know, whether it's a place or a state of being or even if it's a person that they think is home, if they don't have that person, place or feeling with them, um, the responses seem to be showing that they're trying to search for that or trying to get it, get it again, which I think is really interesting because it, like I know we always talk about searching for happiness and finding, mm-hmm. and, you know, wanting to be happy, but I think yeah. part of me wonders how much of, like how much are we looking for happiness, but or do we actually mean that we're kind of searching for a home? You know, so. I mean, I think they can be one and the same, right? Because mm-hmm. you find happiness in feeling at home. Mm-hmm. Right? So they're not really mutually excu- exclusive. And another thing I saw in how people like directly defined home was that uh, they either they thought about it in like a physical space, in the physical sense where it was like, ooh, when or where I'm with my community or my loved ones. And that was like half of the responses. Mm-hmm. And then the other half was like, ooh, feeling safe, feeling comfortable. And then there was there was a minority of whom were, were being honest and saying that they didn't really feel like like they were at home, mm-hmm. which was good to see because, you know, sometimes we just assume that, you know, everyone does have that space where they feel at home, but that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was surprised yeah. that like, a lot of the um, answers discuss the who and the what. Yes. And then some of them also talked about the when. Like, like you know, in the past, they felt like they were home, whereas now... Exactly. And that's mind-blowing. Exactly. I never thought about it like that. Because I think, for me, it's just... I kind of thought of it, like, whatever it is, whether it's a place or a person, or I feel like it's a constant thing. Okay. Yeah, okay. so I didn't ever think that there'd be, like, a past and present for it. Right. Okay. So that was going to be the question I was going to ask you because I was going to be like, well, how do you define home and what aspects 
do you mm-hmm. use to build that definition? Mm. I think for me, since like I move a lot as a like yeah, since yeah. I was a kid, like every two two to three years, so it's never been a place. So it's always I think the focus has okay. always been people rather than a place. Well, I like that. Yeah, so I think it's when I think of home, I think of you know laughing faces, and I think of like a like where some place that I don't have to try if that makes sense, where I can just like let my armor down and just let my guard down and just be. So, at what point is it? Is it the people, and at what point is it like the feeling that the people bring you? Hmm. Does that make sense? Kind of. <laughs> So what point is it the people and because when you said yeah because when you said oh it's when I'm I think of the people when I think of home mm-hmm. and then you shifted into talking about well well how they made you feel right mm-hmm. and so it wasn't directly about the people themselves but what they brought out in you right not yeah. to overanalyze no well that's interesting though because I think yeah I think home I think it is a definition of how it makes you feel as an all because even in the responses that we've seen it's always they all like they, everyone just keeps bringing it back to themselves like it's a safe That's place where you can kind of be selfish and think about yourself and what you want yeah. and need but should home be selfish then because I sort of think of it as in oh it should be like this um very equalized space where everyone has their part and their role in everything I'm not gonna say delegated. That's but you know, like it's it's a mutual communal community vibe where everything's everyone's getting the support that they need. And mm-hmm. so I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with the selfish part, but I do see what you mean by all the all the responses were being turned inwards because we were asking them about them and how they define it for themselves. So that makes sense. Mm. But yeah. Has 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 your definition shifted over the years? Mm, I think so. I think I think it's shifted actually from people to the, the feeling a little bit more. Okay. Like it, okay. even if I'm completely by myself and I'm reading a book or if I'm just thinking or whatever it is, if I'm, if I feel that sense of like, one of the responses said any place that settles your soul, like whenever I get that feeling yep. of my soul feeling settled, I think it feels like that. Okay, because I I saw another response. We're gonna be drawing a lot on those responses because yeah, they were very helpful. They're really good. And one of the yeah, and one of them was that home is me, and I I really jived with that because I think if it's a feeling, you you are the one producing that feeling when you're in an environment that's really speaking to you. So you're you're always carrying that energy within yourself. You just have to correctly you know interact with the right substances materials emotions all of that jazz and so I I like I thought about it I was like home is me and then it's like well yeah because you exist at this very specific intersection where it's like ooh, this identity crossing this this time place this uh, geographical boundary crossing this place and that and that's what produces you that's what you know super intimately and that's where you feel the most comfortable. That's where you feel the most understood. And I think home is about being and feeling understood and cared for. 
And I feel like usually there's a correlation between, oh, spaces and people and um, any any other, whatever, any other thing that that has to, that somehow is similar to an identity marker for you and and the feeling of being at home like the more there's crossover between like ooh how you identify and like what you enjoy and like your background and things that are similar to that the more likely you're going to feel at home if that makes any sense that was a lot of jumble talking over there no i think it makes sense and it also brings back to your point like the question you asked me earlier about whether like what point is it about the people or what the people are making you feel and i mm-hmm. think in order to feel what people like, like allow those feelings, you have to yes. kind of give yourself permission to be able to feel those things, mm. right? So I, I like think, that. I think, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. Like home is me. That makes total sense to me. And, but you know what it makes me think though, is that a lot of people, like even myself, like I lack the understanding of just me, you know, and Ooh, to get to a okay. point where you're going to say home is me, you need to go through a lot of introspection and self-reflection. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I think that's why it's like really critical that you, you yeah. really sit with yourself and like, okay, um, well, who am I? It's a big question. It's a loaded question. But who are you? Like really mm-hmm. well and truly. And it's not what am I interested in? It's not that. It's not yeah. even what do I like? It's what fundamentally shapes who I am and the lens in which I experience the world mm. like what, what builds that and yeah because um okay I'm gonna take this back to like something I heard in one of my uh, literature courses like way back when but uh, she was like introducing the authors and whatnot and this one whose name I still remember surprisingly enough I have a shitty memory <laughs> um but Chris Lee okay so Chris Lee is of Korean heritage but I think was born at least she grew up in in the US and she in LA specifically in Koreatown and she was and she's written a couple novels and whatnot and she was saying in this little video clip um she said that uh Koreatown Koreatown in LA is the hometown of her imagination Farah you probably like heard me already say this before but I found that so mind blowing because it was like this is the space in which I create from that I immediately go back to to understand myself and to understand you know like to create is it's like we talked about it the other day but I think it's an act of love right mm-hmm. and so that's the source that she kept going back to and it was like the hometown the hometown of her imagination and so it's like well it was Koreatown in LA that was the hometown of her imagination. And so then I started asking myself, well, what is the hometown of my yeah, imagination? I was just gonna ask you. Right? Yeah. And it's like, is it is it the city that you were born in? Is it the city you grew up in? Is it a city is it a city period? Like maybe it's not. Maybe it's like specific interactions and places that you've been um for a snippet in time mm-hmm. or people that you've encountered that like have built up this image of a hometown that you keep going back to as this big pool of love that you want to draw on for whenever you're like expressing yourself most authentically Mm, that's really beautiful yeah it was like a shift in understanding what home means Mm -hmm. in hometown specifically Mm -hmm. yeah because that also like the like the phrase hometown brings in a like a collective feel like a community 
not just like a yes right not just like a one place or one person kind of yeah and and yet when we say hometown we're usually referring to one specific place like very specifically Mm -hmm. Right. And that's it's not true to everyone's circumstances. Not everyone has this one hometown that they super identify with and cherish and, you know, always want to be drawing on from. And, you know, you can have a hometown and your hometown is completely different than your parents hometown. And yet your parents hometown is influencing how you view the world as well. Right. Yeah. So there's so many like factors going on to build this like foundational basis of what you understand as home and like your place in the world. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. No, it really is. Cause it goes back. Yeah. Just, it just ties back to the identity thing as well. Like, where do you, mm-hmm. like, what are you saying? Where do you see yourself? Yeah. 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 And, and where do you see yourself presently, but also, Uh, I think it's also like, where do you want to see yourself? Mm -hmm. Where do you want to fit in? Where do you want to belong? Because we think of home in like the present sense, like, because maybe you don't really feel like you have a home right now, right? And so it's like, okay, I don't have this right now, but what would home look like to me under the most ideal circumstances? So thinking about home means that you're also narrating and figuring out what it is in the present. Also, maybe what it was in the past and what it's going to be like in the future so it's like molding so many different relationships all at once so that's why it's so hard to describe and figure out it's literally the most like amorphous concept I know at this present time it's just weird it's it's so many different things that's why we can't that's why what home is to me is not what it is to you because we're all so unique and individualized Mm -hmm. there's no concrete answer yeah so do you want to talk about how what you define as home then uh sure okay I don't want to go on forever because it's literally like an essay response I'm not even kidding because I've been I've sat here and I've thought about it and it's like okay I would need a novel in order to explain but I will try to do my best um so when what I think of as home I I really I'm I'm a very I got to take it back to the basics. I got to go to the who, what, when, why, how, where, all of it in order to dissect it properly. Back to school, kids. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got to, I think each of those questions or parts influence how you shape and understand it. So, so the who is like, well, who do you feel most comfortable around? Who, who do you aspire to be? who have been the people in like your past and so on I like usually like if I really want to get all deep about it, I would work my way through the questions uh right now I think home is a meshing of of like my present circumstances which is living in the lower mainland living in Vancouver BC because that's a fundamental part of like how I grew up so it's that. It's also being Somali, but I am not Somali the way other people are Somali. Not always, right? Like we all have like our unique relationship to like ethnicity and also race. So being the daughter of Somali refugees, mm-hmm. I, I think that would that would that also shapes my understanding of home because that means I, I'm part of the diaspora. And so 
we could talk about being part of the diaspora and being children of immigrants all day, every day. But I think being part of the diaspora is having that distance. So home is a very like weird concept because you're you're removed from like your parents' homeland. So you will never have that connection to like your like the place your parents were born and raised and where your ancestors have lived for generations. You're removed from that. So there's already like you're born with this big gaping wound Mm -hmm. in how you understand home. So I think that's fundamentally shaped how I think about home and why I have to think about it perhaps more consciously than people who were born and raised and grew up and have lived all their lives in the same location. Because I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, whoa, I am here in BC and for literally since human humankind has existed, every single one of my ancestors lived in the Horn of Africa. Mm-hmm. That is a continent and an ocean away. Mm-hmm. So that means my home is different. I got to think about my relationships to ancestry. I have to think about it consciously and geography and culture and language and family and all of those things. It has to be deliberate. So that informs that. Um, that's one aspect that informs how I think about home. There's also the part about religion. I think I also went to an Islamic school. So there was those eight years. <laughs> and so that's a fundamental fundamental part of my upbringing. So it's like you hear about all these stories about the Sahaba this, the prophets this, blah, blah, blah. Those stories, the way that they're told to you, shape the way you understand the world mm-hmm. because you're you're taught to want to live up to those ideals and the ways that they interacted with the world in order to be your best self, right? And so, and I think I'm I don't, I'm not gonna say for most Muslims a lot or whatever, but I think I don't think I'm super special. So I'm gonna say for some other Muslims as well. I think that we exist at, at some level with this like double consciousness because we're here in the present 2020, yada, yada, but we're also sometimes seeing the world through this lens of like seventh century Saudi Arabia <laughs> and like those times, you know, and not only just that, every other time and place that we've heard Islamic stories about that's sort of influencing what we're seeing. Like, you know, like Muslims are like, you know, I feel like a stranger in this place in the West, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I wish I was in a Muslim majority place. So I would say like maybe that that whole time period, the whole like Sahaba, blah, blah, blah thing. But also at some level, we think that we would be super comfortable being in a Muslim majority area. Mm-hmm. We would be like, oh, other people like me in this respect. Mm-hmm. I, which I think is like a pretty valid like yearning to have if you've never had that and I've never had that so so on some level I'm like that'd be super cool I know it comes with its own challenges and frustrations but I'm like that would I, I I'm I'm assuming I would feel at home in some regard if I was there the same way that I would I probably would feel more at home in some aspects if I was back in Somalia than I do here at present where you know it's a minority within a minority within a minority that's a draining experience so I think part of home is like where would you feel comfortable where are other people like you where do you already have ties to in some respect so I think those are probably some of the fundamental things that shape how I understand home presently 
and I'm just accepting at this point, it's a very liminal space for me. It's not concrete. It's not, oh, the house I live in, in Bubble Blah Street. It's really like, okay, all of these different, all of these different parts of me or parts of my past, not even necessarily my own, my own physical lived past, but like, you know, people I have connected to people whose writing I have connected to my own ancestors, their past as well. Those are those are the geographies and cultures and languages. I didn't really talk about language, but languages mm-hmm. too that are shifting and connecting in ways that make a unique intersection. And that is where I live and that's where my understanding of home lives absolutely. So yeah, I hope that answers that in a way that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think the one thing that I kind of touched on that you'd that I kind of took away is also home or yeah home kind of shifts or affects the lens with which you see the world yeah like the way you talk about it was like that seems really interesting because I didn't see like I never saw it that way I guess in terms of like it changes how you see things that will make sense right and I also think someone who is at home like presently feels like they are at home in some way will interact with the world in a different way than someone who feels super disconnected from the world around them and is feeling sort of hopeless mm-hmm. and like not at home they're going to see the same same situation in totally different ways understandably because when you when you're at home you have a sense of stability and security and you're going to be i think more empathetic and you're going i'm not going to say rational but maybe more rational <laughs> versus someone who's coming from a place of, of insecurity, honestly, at that point, because you're, you're like a one person in what, how many people do we have in there? Like 8 billion or something at this point? Yeah, I, think so. I don't know. <laughs> right. And you feel completely unconnected and unmoored because you're like, all these other people are finding the spaces in which they belong in. And yet I am here all alone. I think it's going to give some cynicism or pessimist Mm -hmm. view on things it kind of reminds me of like you know maslow's hierarchy of needs just like the basic like the first three levels they're just like you know basic needs like food water shelter kind of thing then security and comfort and then like the top is i think i don't remember off the top of my head but self-actualization and self-discovery or something something like like that and it just kind of yeah so i yeah so it just made me think about that as well yeah yeah, yeah. And you can't tell any of this by looking at a person. You can't. Straight on. You really can't. It's inner work. It's inner conclusions. Mm-hmm. Well, and I kind of want to take it back to the immigrant experience thing, because I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about like Bangladesh and when I think about it, it's like I miss it. You know, I want to go back and I wish I could lead a life there. And it's not like people aren't leading lives there, but then a part of me also it's like it's bittersweet because I know the political aspects of it and the economics and it's just like I like I want to be there but I also know that I probably like it's not okay for me to be be there you know no it's literally straight up like the poem we just started with it's like I want to go home but I can't because home is the mouth of a shark and the shark can be metaphorical yeah and it's like but you still like how can you not help but love the ocean that the shark is in you know like oh stop (laughs) can you repeat that one more time one more time say that like how can you how can you not how can you not love the oceans that hold the shark 
or like you you do you because you two are water yeah. right you're not separate from the ocean yeah and it's just it's like it's a constant turmoil you know you go between every time something like really horrible happens in Bangladesh whatever I go between like love and hate you know like I hate it I hate that it happened but then I also can't just turn my back on my country and just it's just it's so it's like a constant just like the waves you know just, they kind of go and they get pulled back over and over I just yes. it's so weird you can't you can't live with it because of the circumstances mm-hmm. that you are in but you can you cannot live without it either yeah I feel you on that. I feel you heavy. And it also kind of reminds me of, you know, when like when the Prophet and the people in Makkah they um, immigrated to Medina. Like it's not that far, yeah. but the Hijra, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I think like the part that like I remember uh, reading somewhere um, that the part that really hurt him is just leaving Khadija's grave behind and all the other people's like graves behind that he really loved. Yeah. Right, and it's just like. Like, you know, they're not there anymore, but like, it's their grave. So it's not like, it's, you know, they're not there, but then they're like, a, like their memories it's, are there. It's, it's, um, I'm literally just going to quote like this blog post we were reading the other day, but it's like, whose funerals have you never truly left or something? I'm mumbling the yeah, actual phrasing yeah, it was much more poetic, but it's like, there are some funerals who you never leave. And there are some funerals that you're forever attending. And I feel that way in relation to a lot of places and spaces. It's like you are witnessing decay and death and all of that. But you are, in some ways, you're committing to staying. You're like, I, I'll see this through. You know, I, I'm here for for the long haul. Like, me and you are one. You die, I die kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's like if you do leave it, it kind of, you just kind of give up or just forgetting. Why do you think we don't leave? I mean, I think to leave would mean that part of you dies, like literally straight up like mm. Harry Potter, Voldemort kind of shit. <laughs> but I think that's what it is. I think we put parts of ourselves in places and people and even objects because some people are hella materialists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so leaving those things behind mean that part the part of you that existed in relation to that thing or that person is also going as well. Yeah, you take the memories, but that that fundamental that primitive, that immediate experience is getting left behind in some way. And so we, we don't like to leave things behind. Like, like growth is uncomfortable. Transformation is uncomfortable. And sometimes that's what you got to do. And also, um, I'm going to, who's that guy? Who's the guy who sang um, Take Me to Church? Who's that dude? Uh, um, Avicii? Is that Avicii? Or? No, no, we're going to show how much we don't know anything. <laughs> I live in a culture. Um, Hosean or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm pronouncing it wrong, but you know, whatever. We live. Anyway, so one of his other songs has this, like, it sort of talks about how home is like that space from which you can change, where you're forced to reckon with things and that you undergo that transformation. And so Mm. I think I'm going to take it back to what we were saying earlier, but, um, if you're coming from that place of stability and security of having a home place somewhere, somehow, mm-hmm. some why, you will be able to change and grow because you can, you know, at the end of the day, you have a place to return to. You have that sense of belonging. Mm. Right? Yeah. 
do you think i don't know if this is related to home but do you think like we know that there's intergenerational trauma and things oh, like absolutely. that absolutely but do you think there's intergenerational memory like in some way well the trauma is memory is it not yeah but i think it's like i think the reason i'm using memory is like to be inclusive of like the positive oh things, okay yeah so be the opposite okay what would be the opposite of trauma i want to say joy i don't know if that directly correlates to the opposite mm-hmm. I, I, but intergenerational joy and happiness and like goodness in the memory maybe yeah i mean i was listening to a podcast today and they're talking about intergenerational wisdom so it kind of made me think okay. about whether there's that too like you know that's why maybe if it's like if you've never gone back to your um like where your parents are from and you go back when you're 30 but then you just feel like you belong you know what I mean it's like almost muscle memory maybe in your body oh I like that yeah that's all I'm wondering because you know physically you haven't been there but you just have your ancestors blood and all the experiences within you right and then so maybe it's just a matter of being in that air and the atmosphere that would trigger all those responses yeah yeah that makes sense I don't if I'm being very honest I don't know if I right now if I believe in that mm-hmm. but only because I have not experienced it I think there are some things you sort of have to experience to believe the trauma the trauma I have seen <laughs> the trauma I know but yeah. like that 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 wisdom or that kind of like immediate relationship to the surroundings and whatnot that's passed down I I've never experienced that so I don't know if I fully believe it but I want to. I want to believe in that because who who wouldn't? You know, mm-hmm. it makes everything feel whole. Mm-hmm. And that connection to like land too, right? Exactly. And I think that's why I think it's important to have relationship to the land, the land that you're presently on, mm-hmm. but also the land from which you originated. If you yeah. can, if yeah. you know, if it's safe, if you have access. Well, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm just going to say sometimes throw safety to the wind, but no, we are not going to advocate <laughs> for that. <laughs> but you try what you can with the access to the resources that you got, you know? Yeah. You do your best. I mean, sometimes it doesn't have, you don't have to physically go there. Sometimes it can just be the food you eat or, you know, the stories yeah. you're told. And like, I don't know. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Um, do you think you can be at home in a language? Because this relates to the whole food culture thing. I think so, yeah. Because, I mean, going back to, like, again, Bangladesh, again, like, our whole history, we're, I think we're the only country in the world to have fought for our language and have won for our language okay. rights, right? And so for growing up, fundamentally, language was such an important thing. Like, my dad, my dad was, like, no English in the house. Like, he wouldn't talk to us if we spoken English like he would reply in Bangla he'd force us to you know mm-hmm. talk in Bangla because language is so integral to everything like a culturally yeah. and I guess mm-hmm. yeah. like national identity at that yeah, point yeah because also it's it becomes I don't know I feel like it also becomes like um like you have to pay your respects in a way you know because people lost blood mm-hmm. for your language like for my language mm-hmm. and it just feels a bit, I don't know, it feels like I'm a traitor if I, if I don't use yeah. it. I, I just, you know, it's like, I feel like it's the only part of me that I'm holding on to at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I can, yeah, yeah, no, finish, go on. 
No, I was just going to say, like, you know, my food can shift, you know, like if if I don't learn how to cook the food or whatever the recipes, you know, might pass away with my mom or whoever cooks. Right. And but then with language, I feel like it shifts, but it doesn't like it's still like there are fundamental elements of it that will still stay with me that I'll pass down to, you know, my children or whatever. Yeah. If you know yeah, it. Yeah. If you know it, yeah. True. If you don't then it's about to die with you too. Mm -hmm. Unless your kids go out and do the legwork themselves in order to learn and connect with it. Mm -hmm. But if they don't see that you've done the legwork, then I don't, how do you think they'll be motivated to do it themselves? I mean, I think they can be on, on some respect because they, you know, eventually they're going to go through their own journey of self-discovery mm -hmm. and identity mm -hmm. making and shifting and whatnot. And, you know, they might ask themselves, well, to whom do I belong to as in like people you know as in nation states if they want to think about it with like boundaries and stuff um political bodies and stuff like that but also language language is a fundamental part of it and I think um I'm also going to paraphrase and butcher another quote but right now we're speaking to each other in English right yeah <laughs> colonial language and at some level I feel like just us speaking in English, like you said, is sort of like being traitorous. Yeah. And also, there's a like there's there's some truth. There's some aspect that is lost in us communicating and thinking and dreaming and imagining in English or or French or any colonial language, right? Like mm -hmm. at some level, if you cannot equally match your capabilities in a colonial language with your original tongue your mother tongue then there is something lost there yeah. which is where I am at if I'm being honest I think also going back to the children thing mm -hmm. I mean I've seen some immigrant families and where like I've seen that where my parents place emphasis in language other parents yeah. don't and I get yes. that like it's survival and everything but then like mm -hmm. the reason I asked whether the children would go and seek it for themselves is because I see like, I feel like a lot of them don't, you know, or they just don't see it as important because that maybe it's because of the way they're brought up where the emphasis wasn't there. I mean, it's also like, OK, well, where do we live and what is the dominant culture here? You will be very complacent easily mm -hmm. if you're not attuned to deeper things or thinking at a higher level or wanting to seek out that connection inherently because you will yo, you will not only survive, you will find ways to thrive if all you know is English mm. in this part of the world and many other parts of the world. So there's no, like, immediate need in order to connect with any other language. You know, you're safe. You got it good. You're privileged, right? Um, But I think on some level, I think adults or teenagers or whoever, if you've never, if you know that your parents speak a language and you cannot speak that language, mm -hmm. pro, you're like, there's some fundamental thing wrong here. I've been using the word fundamental a lot, but mm -hmm. whatever. You're like, oh, there's a, there's an incongruency here because <laughs> these are the two people who produced me. And yet here I am. And language is fundamental to who how we understand ourselves and how we interface with the world mm -hmm. in media and everything else right and so I think you know you can get away with never thinking about language at a deeper level and never assessing things that's you know that's your prerogative but also if you're going to start thinking about what language and words and books and history mean you're you're gonna have to confront that question 
eventually. Mm. And how you deal with that, that's up to you. But I think, I'm just going to say, if you're part of like, um, like first generation or something like that, I think on some level, it's your responsibility to confront that, to at least think about it deeply. Mm -hmm. Right? Because like, this is all within one generation, bro. One generation. Right. And look at yeah. us. It's depressing. And also with language, it's just like, it's like, not with, like with knowing multiple languages or even like two, right? It's mm -hmm. just, like, there are some things you can convey in one which you can't in another. So even, like, creativity-wise yeah. or even self-expression, like, it's, it's just uh -huh. a lot easier because you have a lot more um, tools at your disposal and how you want to express uh. yourself and how you identify with yourself, right? Yeah, and the way a language is constructed and the words, like, the vocabulary tells you about the people and the mm -hmm. culture, mm -hmm. right? Because my dad told me the other day, he's like, you know what? Someone got like 50 words for camel. And I'm like, that tells you camels are hella important to Somalis. And there's the facts to back it. They got the most camels in the whole world, blah, 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 domesticated camels, all of that, right? Use it for transportation, milk, all of that jazz, right? So that tells you something. Um, I'm sure if you go, like, if you go look at what, any other place where there's like, some like nature i think or... the inuit the inuit yeah um, that's have, what i was gonna think about they have yes. like different like i think yeah they have um couple maybe 50 or like a, i don't know like a lot of words for just snow and the different yeah. types of snow right yeah and so having that in your arsenal will make you understand the nuances of snow or camels <laughs> or whatever it may be on a much deeper level than someone who speaks English mm -hmm. or any other language, right? Mm -hmm. You're already thinking in different ways. There are new pathways opened up to you. And speaking in English or these colonial language languages is blocking avenues for those kind of connections that are your birthright, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think with English, like a lot of people say that, like, you know, they actually use the fact that we all speak English as, you know, quote unquote one of like the positive aspects of colonialism because Oh because because yeah, I remember because it, hearing that. Yeah, because it's like, okay, now I can talk to you and you can talk to me. So it just kind of Okay. My rebuttal to that, I don't know if that's even necessary, but this <laughs> is getting repeated. Okay. It's like um you about to think the col colonizers for this, who knows what our 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 present or futures would have been like if if our histories were not interrupted. Mm -hmm. I was about to say fundamentally again, my bad. Were not interrupted and disrupted and violated in horrific ways by these white people, right? Who knows? We could have been communicating in other ways that are unimaginable to us. Yeah. So I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna be thankful for that. You know, I would rather take a world in which we were not ravaged by European colonialism. I think that's what we're going to be talking about mainly today. <laughs> There's a lot of different forms of colonialism and all of that going on, but we're, uh, we'll be specific here. Um, so if that hadn't happened, I I'd rather have that world that wasn't touched in that way. I would rather have that world, even if it meant I only knew how to talk to people in my immediate part of the world and surrounding countries and all of that because it it's a 
it's beautiful that way too. It's not primitive or savage mm-hmm. or any of these or barbaric or whatever. I, I, I'd say, I'd say that's the natural state of things. You know, yeah. what we currently have, this is due to globalization <laughs> and European colonialism. That shit not natural. And then, you know, it's not like we haven't functioned beforehand or like gotten around like, no, like we were trading yeah like huh? the stuff grew and everything right like... i'm gonna use somalia as a case because okay. that's what i know to an extent yo somalis out here trading with the arabs out here trading with the indians too you know why we had boats people knew how to communicate they found other ways you can learn language other people's languages mm-hmm. obviously you can learn you can who knows use sign language you can do a lot of things. Some things are also, I think, in most human cultures, right? Stuff like mm-hmm. trading, bartering, stuff like that. You will find ways. They have found ways for literally millennia. Mm-hmm. We did not need the white Europeans in order to connect. We were already connecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So I, I, just, I remember hearing that at some event on <laughs> campus like last year. And I was like, excuse me, what did you just say? What? Yeah, I think people say that because they think that, okay, having the emphasis on one language connects us, but then I don't, I think they feel to realize that multiple languages can also connect us, you know, like. And that's beautiful. Yeah, and it just, it's just like, even how it sounds, it sounds like musical to your ears, your brain finds it interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry, this is a stunted, violent language. I, I'm I'm not really thankful I know it. It's a little bit strange when I when I'm very conscious of it and I'm hyper aware. I'm like, damn, what am I speaking right now? Why do I know this? This does not belong in my mouth. This is a violation of myself and all of the people and the places that went into shaping who I am mm-hmm. or producing me. This is not. This isn't. This isn't correct. There's something off about this. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, what can we do about it now, though? Right? And that's, yeah. yeah, what would you say then to that? I mean, I would just even, like, I think you were telling about one of your friends that wrote poetry in both, like, English and Arabic, mm-hmm. right? Like, even that, I think, is, like, fascinating, just, like, incorporating or even just writing it so in your language. And, yeah, yeah and just. And prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Because at this point in the world, these colonial systems have not only been privileged, they've been forced all the way to the top to the point that we cannot imagine otherwise. It's literally, it's colonized our brains, our imaginations, the way we move in the world, every single freaking thing. And so I think it is your duty and your responsibility as colonized peoples to, in effort to just like, I don't even know if we can neutralize this kind of effect in the next hundred years. Mm -hmm. If it took hundreds of years for us to get here, surely it will take hundreds of years to undo all of this damage, if not more. And what you can do is prioritize other cultures, Mm -hmm. other languages, other heritages. And by other, I mean like your own, like, Mm -hmm. like the stuff like your parents are part of like, very obviously and you can also find joy in those things you can find solace in that too you can find ways to communicate and you don't need english in these colonial languages for everything you can you can dream in somali and bangla too yeah and prioritizing doesn't like i think 
with prioritizing. It doesn't have to be like super out there in everyone's face if if that's not like your way. I know, but I don't like, know. But yeah, I don't know if everyone can do that. But yeah, I think that's, that's also like flawed, Emily. Yeah, because sometimes it just might mean that you know not apologizing for how your food smells mm-hmm. like when you're opening it up in the cafeteria in high school or something. You know, something yeah. as simple yeah. as that. And I also, yeah, okay, yeah. wait, maybe this, maybe I think you probably answered this question, but let me ask anyway. Um, okay. How do you think colonization shaped your definition of home? If we're gonna bring it back. Oh yeah, I, I think I sort of touched on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I my present understanding of home is intrinsically tied to the effects of colonialism. Mm-hmm. I, you, I can't even separate the two because all I know is the experience of a displaced people forced out in part because of European colonialism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 other sort and other reasons. I'm not I'm not gonna like I'm mm-hmm. just gonna simplify European colonialism for now because who has time to get into the rest of the stuff. But yeah, because it's like, well look at it. Look at where I am, bro. Like I'm out here in Vancouver, BC. That <laughs> that is not where my people are from. Mm. Right? And and what does that have to do with what is the language I'm speaking in, the stuff that I'm reading, the media I'm consuming. Um, you know, the university I'm attending, it's <laughs> shaped every facet of life. You cannot run away from it at this point. It's it's the background and foreground operant of every interfacing we have with the world and the people around us and ourselves, frankly. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's a sad answer, but it's true. It is <laughs> true, yeah. But yeah, I was wait wait you can go no i'm just gonna say even if it's sad it's just like just understanding it and just acknowledging it it's like you know it's like one step ahead you know in that sense like that we've got something yeah i was just gonna counter the sad thing because i'm like bro this is a depressing attitude (laughs) to have Let's, uh, let's fix that because if you think about it it's also tying back to what i was gonna say but i forgot now i have remembered it's resistance. Look yes. at it. Look at what our people have been through, and mm-hmm. we are still here. We are surviving. We are resisting, and everything is resistance if you think about it in that way. The personal, the little like, oh, I'm not apologizing for the smell of my food. Mm-hmm. That is also a political act. That is an act of resistance. And I was just going to say, you said it's simple. That that shit is not simple, because sometimes that is hard to do, because you're raised in a it way is, where actually. You, you are just apologizing for everything your existence you are yeah. apologizing for that's the way you're raised and indoctrinated in this culture right don't apologize for anything everything's an act of resistance if you think about it in that way because all of our choices mm-hmm. are political maybe i sound a little crazy here but i think it's like well who has choice first of all like what are the choices that we have mm-hmm. and then what are we deciding to do when we're put in those scenarios and those situations and what and what political grounding or social framing or however you want to think but what are we drawing from like what is our inspiration to make those decisions and we don't exist in a vacuum so obviously there's all these outside forces having an effect and you've got to be scrupulous with you know what's affecting mm. those decisions what are you allowing to guide your judgment so yeah, yeah resist because mm-hmm. right now like for you and me and for mm-hmm. lots of other people out there we exist in politicized bodies 
the the violence that is enacted on our people, on on black and brown people, mm-hmm. on Muslim people, blah blah blah. Right? It's enormous. The question is whether you're conscious of it or not. But, but regardless, it's taking a toll all the time on your energies. And so if it's this downward, this constant downward negative force, I, I think we have to try our best mm-hmm. to, to reach upwards and, and resist that in the best ways that we know how, you know, being proud of it all the while and knowing that we are not doing it alone, that we are existing mm-hmm. not only with the other people presently alive at the same time as us who are also resisting their own mm-hmm. ways but mm-hmm. we are drawing on a long centuries long tradition of resistance as well you you also have stuff to draw on in order to get through life mm-hmm. and not only just get through but in order yeah. to in order to commandeer your life mm-hmm. and so okay question well then do you think that you could ever f- truly feel at home right where you are right now physically in geog- geographically like in the Vancouver, BC area, because you know that the the land that we are on mm-hmm, right now, mm-hmm. this is not the homeland of our people. This is the homeland of like the Musqueam people right now, where I am physically, right? So it's like, how am I mm-hmm. trying to claim home from here? These are not my roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then if you think about home in the feeling sense, it makes it a little jumpy. It's just like, okay, it's not here. Where is mm-hmm. it? Like if I go to Bangladesh would that be home probably maybe I don't know maybe not maybe yes but if I go to another place that I've lived would that be home too and everywhere that I can think of it'd be like no not like it's not no but it's not really like it's so I don't know if we'd ever or or as like immigrant children and Uh if we'd ever feel comfort no like if we'll if we'd ever feel a physical home but then but then maybe for some people that would make sense. Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. See, I mean, well, mm-hmm. that's the thing, because some people, even I think in the survey responses, they did sort of mm-hmm. touch towards or point towards, I mean, home in this physical sense of like, mm-hmm. oh, UBC and blah, blah, blah. This is where I, this is where I am home right now. Or home is the room that I'm in, the house I'm in, like this immediate surroundings, this is home, right? And so sometimes I think for some people that works. And for other people, they cannot live with that kind of heartbreak of being forced away from their physical homes. And so we seek understanding home in a different plane of, like in a different plane of thinking period, because yeah. then you have more, you have more control. Mm-hmm. You have more control. You, you can shift it a little bit more to fit like, where you presently got are at. Little glimpses of it, if at all, right? And then they had a whole life there, whole lives there. Mm-hmm. And and they still presently see those places as home. Mm-hmm. So I would say they have a more concrete yeah. understanding of home. It, that that's mm-hmm. what I would hazard. That would be my guess. Because you can hear it in the way that they talk about it. It's present. It's 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 unchanged. It is it is right there with them because it exists in their lived bodies because they experienced it. It's in their memories. Mm-hmm. It's in their yeah, aspirations. Even... And for us, it's just hazy. You know, mm-hmm. um, in in my first year of university, like literally my first week of like school, I was in in a bio lecture and I sat down. I don't know if I told <laughs> you the story, 
right? Sat down, saw another black girl. I'm like, that does not happen often in this part of the the world. Well, you know, let me go sit near her. Like, you know, let me try a little something. And then, you know, she asked me, you know, like, oh, hi, like, where are you from? And I said Somalia, because at this point, what am I going to claim? I'm not going to claim Vancouver. How can I'm not going to say that. This is different with my spirit. So I said Somalia, like, without without uh-huh. pausing. And then and then I was like, oh, where are you from? And she, she, she was a Kenyan international student, right? And then she asked me, and this is, and then, okay, she it's asked like me, when did you come to Canada? And then I was like, damn it. I, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because I was like, well, you know, 99, 1999, when I was born. Ooh. And then she was like, oh, so you're not a real African. And I was like, oh, okay. I, and at that point, like, that that was a real blow to me at that point. So I didn't even try to, like, be like, I didn't even try to reason with her or anything like that because I was like, oh, shit. You know, I guess maybe I'm not. This is weird now. Let me not talk to you ever again. <laughs> um, because that was my way of dealing at the time because I had to think about it. And this happened, like, what, almost four years ago at this mm-hmm. point? So it had an impact. She probably, she laughed. Like, it wasn't, it was a throwaway comment to her. But that has sat with me for four years. And so... I've come to accept and make peace with the fact that, you know, Mm. the way that Mm -hmm. I am African is not the same way that she was African, right? That 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 is true. Mm -hmm. And yet right now I'm like, I don't know if that makes me any less of a real African, but I can understand why she sees it that way because she was born and raised and lived there for 18 years. And yet here I am, I've never set foot there. Mm, so yeah. who am I to, to count as a real African the same way that she counts, right? I think, I think growing up, like just like getting older and whatnot, just being exposed to more things has, has really taught me to like yeah. hold the nuances of these identity markers all at the same time, knowing that, hey, me, like I, I sort of count as a real African, you know, I'd like to think so. But I also know that, <laughs> that I'm not in some in some really fun, fundamental. That's my word of the day, y'all. In some fundamental aspects, I do not I do not count. But you can't. You also cannot die. You cannot deny my right to calling mm-hmm. myself an African and having that African heritage as something I respect, admire, and cherish. Right. So it's like, oh, all of these the places that we grew up. And, you know, the places that the lands that we have connections with Mm -hmm. are shaping the way that we view other people who also have connection to that land. I don't you know what? I'm a little hurt. So I don't I don't know. I'm still hurt. But I can see where she's coming from. And four years ago, I could not see where she was coming from. I was just sitting in my pain. But now I can see where she's coming from and I can sort of respect it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's cool. That's fine. We're, We're African in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. That was a whole do story and a half, to, but yeah. <laughs> you know, do you quote unquote your people have to claim you for you to be a part of them? Or is it okay if you if you choose to just, you know, put that like label on yourself? Because it kind of I like that. That's an interesting question. Um Yeah, because like let me think. Yeah, like Because like ideally I, you would want yeah, your people to claim I you. I would like I brought her over your situation. Like you gotta choose. Well, that would have hurt. Yeah. And it's, I think it's like, okay, things people say to us can hurt, mm. but we, you we'll know, where if, they're coming if it's from. not outright vile, we can still, you know, evaluate what they're saying to see if there's 
see where they're coming from see if there's some truth to it see mm-hmm. how you can mm-hmm. can or if you want to you know incorporate that into your own schema schemas and see how you can you know also use it to view the world a little bit differently um but yeah I think if you can okay remember uh, what's her name Rachel Dolezal I'm also pronouncing all these people's names wrong but it's fine remember like she she was like this white woman who was like yo I'm black and she made herself sort of look like she was black by doing all these artificial shit and then she was like I'm a black woman and took up spaces that belong to black women and and you know by all of these artificial mechanisms and like people propping her up and whatnot maybe some other black people claimed her too and then that gave her like accreditation and people were like oh yeah she's one of us or whatever and so sometimes oh but then I was gonna say sometimes people can erroneously like claim like people and they're not actually one of their own but yeah those weren't black people are not her people we have to be careful Mm -hmm. with how we conceptualize my people or our people or your people right so I almost tripped myself up there but yeah yeah, but you, yeah, you can't claim a people, you can't claim a certain group of people are your people without having some legitimate proof, without some kind of legit, something to back you up. You can't just, one day you sprout out and you're like <laughs> out of the earth and you're like, I belong to this people. That's strange. <laughs> That's weird. Like there has to be something linking you, mm-hmm. something linking you in a, in a concrete uh, way. Because that, that's how you connect with people. If you don't, there isn't any tie, mm-hmm. I find it hard to be like, I, I belong with these people. I don't know. Say, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, say you go against, let's just say, let's let's make our people our little family unit so it's easier. Um, say you go against some your family's values or what they expect of you, right? And, okay. and then now... Uh, your parents don't want to identify with you and now you know they kind of push you out of the circle so then now you know quote unquote your people don't really want you or don't want to claim you as their own this so it just kind of made me think about like all the nuances that we have with like you know claiming something or Mm -hmm. not claiming something and like who holds that power and 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 understanding exactly and understanding and accepting that that relationship with your people can shift and and perhaps that doesn't make them any less of your people, mm-hmm. but also if your understanding of these are my people is based on values and their values shift or your values mm-hmm. shift and they are no longer aligned, well, then they are no longer your people. And that is also fine, right? Because um, you can think yeah, about yeah, oh, yeah. my people in a very strict sense of like, <laughs> we got like similar genes and, you know, and blood and like we come from the same part of the world. But you can also make your understanding of my people more complicated because there are other smart people out there. <laughs> they are not my people. I'm sorry. We can have the same ethnicity. I do not count you as my people. Yeah, There's some yeah. Muslims out there. I'm like, I do not know you. I do not know you. Don't don't even look at worlds apart at this point that it would be like, it would be like, oh, okay. We have some things in common. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that when I'm thinking of my people, that you are part of it. Narrow, it's individualized to fit me and the things I believe in and the things I like and where I'm from. And if there's if there's 
fundamental fundamental incongruencies, you are pushed out of that circle of counting as my people. And that's how I operate. I don't know if that's being very like small minded, but at this point in time, that maybe it's a survival strategy. Mm-hmm. But that is how I work because I don't have to count all these people that have share something with me as my people too much. That's weird. And at some point, I'm going to make a hypocrite out of myself, right? Because there's going to be me saying blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then someone out there who I count as my people is saying the exact opposite. And I'm like, well, what? What? What are are you doing, bro? That's that's not part of the agenda. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I can't handle another invasion. I really cannot at this point. My people have lived through enough. My people, in the sense, I'm thinking of my people, they're they were all invaded at some point, most likely, right? So I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of being colonized. I'm tired. You're you're gonna respect my boundaries, honestly. And I'm setting my own boundaries, and I'm enforcing my own boundaries. I'm not I'm not relying on anyone else to do that because the thing is, with you thinking something, you conceptualizing a category of people or some definition, that's up to you. And you're the only, and sometimes you're the only person who knows it. Maybe tomorrow my my whole view on what who counts as my people shifts and you won't know it. That's mm-hmm. cool. And maybe my whole understanding shifts and I start acting differently. There are some people I will just drop that I will never talk to again. That's another way of enforcing those boundaries of who counts to me, who matters to me, who do I prioritize, mm-hmm. who gets my attention and my energy and my love. And that's that's my right to do that, right? So you gotta be scrupulous with the dough and you gotta you gotta you know be cognizant of you know what's going on and right like Mm -hmm. exactly right this is your home we're talking about this is you like you already exist as as one in eight billion bro like you're already so minuscule in the grand scheme of things you're really nothing right but you are also you are at the same time that you are nothing in the grand scheme, you are mm-hmm. everything because your entire view of the world is shaped by you in the way that you're interfacing with the world, right? You are nothing, you are everything. And so a lot of times it's very easy for us to act like we're nothing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you got to act like you are everything because you are. So yeah, it is your right to decide things. People have rights to their opinions. <laughs> sometimes though, if you're deciding something and it's a little wonky, yeah. some people might have comments. That's also part of life. <laughs> we should start wrapping up yeah so i guess one of the main takeaways from our thing was okay. just about awesome. claiming home as a space for who you are and to ensure your survival and your growth and actualization mm-hmm. and just so that you can survive without mm-hmm. guilt you know with yeah. the freedom that you deserve yeah and i would say what i'm noticing is that well, home is whatever you make it out to be, right? And so maybe you feel like you don't have a home right now because you're thinking of home in a very physical, maybe limited way. But if you think of home as you, and I'll put this in my Instagram story, so let me quote myself. But if you think of home as the abundance that is you, that makes up who you are and what you bring to the world and all the spaces that you're navigating, if you think of home mm-hmm. as you, you will never be without a home because you you are taking it with you wherever you go. You bring that, that sense of safety and serenity that you're looking for yo, you already carry that within yourself. Sometimes you just got to tap into it in a conscious manner or put yourself, position yourself if you can 
into mm-hmm. those with those people or those spaces that are gonna bring that out the most in you. Mm-hmm. Prioritize yourself. Right? Think about yourself, prioritize yourself, and really just cherish all these moments mm-hmm. that you have with yourself. At this point, I'm just doing a poor, a very poor paraphrasing of what you just said. So I'm gonna just stop right now. Um if I can, <laughs> I would say if you've made it this far, <laughs> well, thank you. Also, I apologize for some of the stuff that you had to hear. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Send us your feedback. Leave us voice notes, DMs, whatever you want to do. Let us know what you thought. I want to know how you think of oh, as home, how you relate to homeland, if you see it as a feeling, a physical location, and how, how you prioritize yourself in this very violent, very mm-hmm. brutal world. All right. And so, this is Won't You Celebrate With Me by Lucille Clifton. Won't you celebrate with me what I've shaped into a kind of life I had no model, born in Babylon, both non-white and woman? What did I see to be except myself? I made it up, here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand, Come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed.